Hey there, friends. Welcome to another edition of Crusher Talk with Haley. I am Haley Crusher Kane. I have just finished lunch. I had a particularly stinky tuna fish sandwich made from tuna that um, my stepdad caught, albacore, that was very delicious. It's canned. I picked it up last time I was in the Seattle area and have been rationing it out. Uh, I cut up some green onion in there, put some mustard powder, vinegar, real Dijon mustard that I got from World Market that was very fancy, um, pepper, a little bit of mayo. It was good. It was really good. Um, the most important ingredient, though, which I would re- be remiss not to mention, is the Philippe's French dip hot mustard, which burns your nose hairs off. It is basically wasabi in a tube, in a mustard tube. (laughs) And if you are not familiar with Philippe's French dip, you must check it out. Um, Philippe's French dip is known as one of the, or perhaps the first French dip sandwich shops in Los Angeles. Um, when was it established? Let me look at this mustard because it'll tell me on the bottle. Established 1908, the LA original, home of the French dip sandwich. It's hot but good, it says on the uh, on the label. Um, I hadn't been in a few years. It's one of those places that um, I would go with my mom or my aunt when visiting LA, um, sometimes with Reed here and there if we had time. We're not often in downtown LA, or at least we didn't used to be often in downtown LA. It's kind of a hassle to deal with it, but Philippe's has a parking lot, which is fantastic. Um, And then it's sort of like this long line, like very Disneyland long line. I mean, you go inside, it's very much the same as it probably was back in the day. It's not anything fancy. There's, you know, sawdust on the floor and, you know, there's just a long line and sort of a a long lunch counter where you can get these famous French dip sandwiches, these beef sandwiches. But you can also get stuff like potato salad and macaroni salad and sweet pickles and sour pickles and gosh, what else? Just a million things. Pie, custard. Um, you can get a the French dip in the lamb, the lamb version. You can get a ham French dip, I found out. Um, so last time I was visiting, um, after recording in LA, I dragged my friend Leslie and Reed to Philippe's and we, it was, we, there was traffic getting from East Hollywood to downtown. And I was like, you know what? I'm sorry guys, but it has been years. And after a few years, I get kind of cranky, especially if I don't get my mustard. Um, my mom and stepdad used to live in LA, so, or in Lomita, South Bay area, um, near Long Beach, actually. So almost a different planet entirely, but still they were closer to downtown LA than I was. Um, I reside about, uh, four hours North. So yeah, they were closer. So for holidays, um, I would often get Philippe's French dip mustard in my stocking, But after they moved away, I just didn't have a connection anymore, and I just never made the time to go. And so 
the last few times I had made plans to go and then completely bailed because I just didn't want to deal with traffic and getting there and you wait in line. It's a whole thing. But I did get to go um, after our recording session earlier in September. So that was amazing. Uh, We stood in line and everyone was wearing masks. It was fine. Um, We all decided on what we're going to get. I was excited to get my... um, my my dipped my dipped French dip you can get it dipped or double dipped or get it wet I think next time I'll get it wet because there there wasn't quite enough au jus I have to say um, we were all excited picking out what we want to get when we see this guy who's maybe like I don't know he's 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 definitely in front of us but not so far in front that we can't see what's going on he's kind of like ahead of us but anywho it doesn't really matter. Um, we hear kind of a kerfuffle and this dude that's in front of us in line who's wearing an, <laughs> he was wearing a, I want to say it was a, we, we we want you, Uncle Sam pointing at you kind of shirt, but I think it was just some sort of American USA, USA, USA kind of thing. Um, of course, uh, he did not have his mask on or it, it was not properly, um, fastened to his face. I want to say his nose was sticking out and also his mouth or just the nose. I'm not exactly sure. Uh, what happened was basically we hear this woman, this kind of shrill woman saying, you know, it's not just about you. It's not just about you. You know, you're being so selfish, you know, you need to protect everyone. And this isn't just about you. That's what I remember her saying. And she just sounded, you know, when people just sound like they're about to cry, this is how this woman sounded. And and everyone's kind of trying not to notice or like, oh God, here we go again. Like here's one of those COVID fights that are about to happen. And the guy takes off his mask completely at this point and is basically like, you know, don't tell me what to do. Um, you're a crazy bitch, um, et cetera, et cetera. Like just basically completely it's like his whole body was tensed up and he was just a ball of, re- of resistance. Like it didn't, it didn't matter that everyone in line and there's, there's, these lines are long. There's probably 40 people in this line. We're kind of snaking, you know, through the restaurant. Um, we're all wearing masks. We're all doing it quietly. It's fine. And he's just like, I am not going to have it. And he was in the middle of the line. So he was like pretty, you know, he's closer than we were to get in his sandwich. So he, this is a bold move for him to take his mask off. She gets more hyper accelerated and upset than other people around her, including us. We were like, oh God, this is so awkward. What do we do? Like, should we, like, what do we do? Um, but the mob mentality really took over. And then all the other people who are wearing masks were like, fuck you. Don't talk to her that way. You can leave. Why don't you leave? So he was actually telling her to leave, which was kind of funny. Um, Why don't you leave? And then he really didn't respond until this kind of tougher looking um, Hispanic guy who uh, was just, he was just very pointed about it was like, no, why don't you leave? And it seemed like that was his cue to, to leave. And so he said, fuck you, fuck you, fuck you, fuck you, and fuck you, and fuck you. It was like he was quitting his job after, you know, 20 years. Like, take this job and shove it. He was so pissed. And and meanwhile, I mean, we like, we're all watching this unfold. And, like, you think that in this, these kind of moments you're going to become a hero and rise to the occasion and 
be like, no, screw you, mister. But, you know, we didn't say anything. We were we were really glad he left because it was just a very uncomfortable situation. And, of course, we all feel upset when someone's not wearing a mask. It feels upsetting, but we don't always let it out. And this woman was just like not only letting it out, but she was, like I told you, like uh, about to cry, basically. She was at this very heated point that was very vulnerable and kind of hard to listen to, honestly. I mean, she was just – you could tell she'd had it. She'd had a day. Who knows? Maybe she had family members who passed away from COVID. I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, she was very, she was really speaking for a lot of us. I I could relate to how she was feeling emotionally after a long day. And you see one of these guys, you know, with their nose sticking out or like one of those Karens with their nose sticking out. And you just think, excuse me, you got to have all the sex, the drugs, the rock and roll, destroy the planet, didn't recycle and and you're also like don't give a shit about spreading covid to other people like it just feels like such an ultimate boomer asshole move <sighs> anyways um he stormed out everyone clapped it felt very unifying we got our sandwiches leslie got the ham dip it was not good don't get the ham dip who bu- who gets a ham sandwich in a in a roast beef type setting french dip type setting leslie does that's who um but yeah, that is my endorsement for Fred, for Philippe's and also an interesting segue into what got me thinking about this is as I was eating my very stinky tuna fish sandwich with my Philippe's hot mustard, basically my eyes watering because it was so hot. And I was like, yes, this is delicious. I love this. It stinks so much. I love a stinky sandwich. I love stinky foods. I was having a great time. I was listening to a podcast. I really like this podcast. It's called Theory of Everything with Benjamin Walker. Um, it's not for like out every day. I feel like you have to be in the right mood because it's quite intellectual and a little bit challenging sometimes. But um, I was in the mood. I'm like, I I, I just finished uh, a draft of the Kathy Valentine Go-Go's, the first kind of piece I'm going to do about that. And I was like, I just need to like uh, keep this writerly thing going. Like let's I, I was already in that state of mind. I was I was thinking about words. So it, it seemed like the right time to put on a wordy and a smart podcast. So I was listening to the latest episode. Um, I think it's called This Is Real or This Is Real, y'all. Um, where, well, Benjamin, he's a journalist and he has, and a writer and podcaster. He was in France for most of, the past 18 months. He um, has a French wife and they had gone to France and and left New York City during COVID because it was too scary, which I don't blame them because, wow, New York was a scary place in the beginning. Um, The the title of the podcast episode actually um, kind of harkens back to an early viral video of a man standing outside of a hospital on his phone saying, this is real, this is real, as the... um, the bodies were forklifted into like a cooler. If you remember that when the the New York hospitals were getting full and they were forklifting bodies into some sort of like mobile cooler thing, uh, it's, it's rough. Right. Um, and the episode was talking about how, despite videos like that, that were so real, um, the persistence of this culture of people who still to this day believe COVID is not real, Um, has continued to flourish. And he talks about why that might be and talks about 
it, it's really a cultural discussion about certain people's inability to let go of their mindset because letting go of their mindset is um, less it letting go of their mindset is non-negotiable in the face of reality basically if they have a choice between relinquishing their mindset their worldview or reality they choose their worldview because it, the the destruction of their worldview however warped it is is akin to the destruction of their world and the real world doesn't even factor in because they're so encased in their own weird echo chamber bubble as we all are but certain people are in a bubble of conspiracy these QAnon people and people that are in these strange um realms of fake science and basically just lies and conspiracy theories and emotional outrage porn um they cannot even fathom their worldview even cracking because once that cracks and their whole world's over there, it destroys their ego. So it was very interesting. He, he interviewed um, a writer for the New York times named Benjamin Bratton, who uh, he said something quite interesting. I thought, which was when the COVID deaths were the highest they'd ever been. If you guys obviously remember um, in 2020, you know, thousands and thousands of people or thousands of people dying every day. I'm not a numbers person, so I don't remember the exact amount, but it's horrifying. At a certain point, your brain kind of just can't even compute the numbers, but that's exactly what he was talking about. He was saying he saw a tweet that someone had tweeted about, you know, there's 3,000 people dying a day or whatever the number was. How are we not all talking about this all the time? How are we not all feeling the feelings about this all the time? How are we even like living our lives? This is insane. Like this is huge. And he thought back to other stories he had covered, and the thing that came to mind first was the um, gun deaths in America, and how you know our gun, our our mass shootings and gun deaths, and those numbers are insane compared to other countries. Like it's hilariously laughable, not funny, but it's absurd the number of gun deaths that we have here versus like Australia or other places. Um, really anywhere else. And he had kind of likened it to that, like, well, you know, at a certain point, we were outraged about the gun deaths, and yet we still had to carry on, move forward, and sort of like put it in our pocket and walk, you know, into the future. And perhaps Americans are uniquely positioned to compartmentalize and move on from these things more than other cultures. That's not to say other cultures don't have way crazier stuff like genocides and other things like that that are like unfathomable 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 <laughs> unbearably hard to understand or even your brain you know you can't really wrap your brain around those things um but it's interesting to think about you know we came from a time when something like the unabomber or columbine was the most insane, crazy thing that ever happened, covered constantly, huge deal to, you know, a Columbine happening, you know, every few months, or that's probably not a perfect analogy, but you know what I'm saying. So I thought that was kind of interesting. Um, if you want to check that out, I really want to know, I really want to understand the other side, not because I like on are on their side, but I think it's important to understand it. There's been some interesting podcasts. There was one, 
think it was on um, the New Yorker podcast, I want to say, where, yeah, it was, where um, David Remnick interviews a, either that or This American Life, I can't remember now. Um, he interviews a young child who, or like a teenager, who lives in a family that is against the vaccination and actively tells him not to get it and that a lot hinges on him not getting it. They're like, you know, you can't get it and we'll be disappointed in you if you get it and it's bad for you and it's dangerous. And he's had to make up his mind for himself. And it's interesting to hear his perspective coming from like living in that house. And he talks about, oh, they interview the mom too. And it's like, it's wild. Like these are important narratives to think about because it's just to discount them and say that it's crazy is, is really not going to fix the problem. You know, I don't want to get into politics, but you know, that's how someone like Trump gets elected. Um, dismissing and discounting large populations of people who are living in different realities and have different worldviews and are not being, um, listened to and they become even more aggravated and even more disassociated from society. And that's how all this, the insurrection and all this stuff happens. It's, I mean, that's a very simplified way to think about it, but I think it's a really, um, a complete failure to ignore the people that are, you know, saying shocking things and believing shocking things. I want to ask these people, why do you believe that? How do you feel about that? What compels you to spread that information? Do you, you know, I, I don't know. I may, maybe I'm the only one, but my initial reaction is an anger. It's more curiosity and trying to understand it. And uh, just, um, it's quite, it's kind of funny how these little scenarios like me at the, you know, Philippe's French dip kind of weave their way into our normal lives. But if you had told me that things like this would have been happening years ago, I would have like laughed, like that sounds so dystopian. How is that possible? But um, yeah, here we are. And <laughs> those people are still walking among us. I saw one at Chipotle the other day. Total Karen. She was trying to rejigger the entire menu, which, you know, uh, Chipotle is basically a cafeteria style menu. Not unlike Philippe's. You just get what's on the, you get what's on the menu. You pick things you or you omit things. You pick or you omit. And she was trying to wriggle, you know, her way through the menu with a little bit of this, a little bit of that and extra that. And can you do it this way? And she had her little mask just under her nose. And it took a lot of internal effort not to say anything. Reed and I were just standing there like sighing at each other. Like, can you believe this person? But what are, what is one supposed to do? Am I supposed to call her out? And then we have that whole scenario like we had at Philippe's. I don't know. Does it make that big of a difference? I don't know. I will tell you, as the guy left Philippe's in the American flag shirt, a young man in a flat cap smiled. He smiled because he was just putting his, um, he was just walking in the door and he was putting his mask on. His mask was not yet on as he walked through the door. He smiled. He put the mask on bumped the guy who was walking out, bumped his um, his uh, fist, like a little brotherly bump, and then pulled his mask down so his nose was showing. And then stood in line. And I forgot to say that, say that part. 
like in solidarity with this complete bozo who was just thrown out. Oh, also a security was called. I, I didn't mention that. It wasn't just the mob. It was also security that was called. Security did get involved. I'm sure downtown businesses like that need security for all sorts of reasons. A lot of mental health issues going on down there. So that helped as well. But yeah, these little these little nose pokers or whatever we want to call them are among us. And it is an interesting um, tap dance, isn't it? To not lose your mind, not lose your cool, stand up for what you believe in, be realistic. You know, we got to be realistic too. I, I, I'm not here to crusade against all these people and... I mean, I'm I'm proud of that woman who stood who stood up. As crazy and shrill as she was, um, not crazy, but just she she was getting real heated. As heated as she was, I am glad that there was somebody willing to do that. So, yeah, that's where we stand with that. Um, my interview with Kathy Valentine of the Go Go's went quite well. There was some issues with scheduling. Um, I'm still really, really bad at when I schedule an interview, I will schedule it for Pacific time. And I will say in the email, it's for Pacific time. And yet if they, if they email back, okay, great. I'm central or I'm this, I'm that. If it's not really like clearly indicated, I just assume everybody's on the West coast, which was pointed out to me (laughs) by a friend that that's very California. Like, Oh, you're all on the West coast, right? She was indeed in Austin. So that presented an issue. It really just fucked me up, fucked my day up because I woke up to go to the bathroom at like seven in the morning and I get a text from my friend who set everything up. He's like, hey, don't forget about the time change, time difference. And I was like, wait, what? Luckily I was awake because I thought, oh God, the interview's actually like, I thought it was going to be, you know, in three hours, but it was actually, or four hours. It was two hours or something. And I was like, oh, ah. and then of course, you know, she showed up for, it doesn't even matter. It, it it all happened. And so that's fine. But I kind of messed my day up a little bit because then I was anxious waiting for the interview. And then she didn't come because I had sent the wrong time. And she came at the original slotted time because I, apparently Skype translates whatever you do into their own time zone. So everything ended up being fine. And um, it was a good conversation. One of the perils of meeting your heroes or meeting celebrities that you care if they think you're an asshole is that you just care if they think you're an asshole. So you're trying to be in the moment, trying to read your notes, trying to be engaged, but also in the back of your mind, like, man, I really hope that this person doesn't think I'm an asshole forever, (laughs) which is, you know, stupid because of course these people talk to hundreds and hundreds of press people all the time. I know she has. And like, yeah, what are you going to do about that? You know, um, She talked a lot about her daughter, um, her mother. If you have read the book, the mother thing is very, very wrought. Um, She talked about sobriety and, you know, getting inducted, chosen to be inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and a lot of cool stuff. So I'm kind of still going over the audio and um, making notes and stuff. I'm going to share that interview, probably the, the audio clip somewhere, maybe on the podcast, on the actual podcast, Sparkle and Destroy podcast. I guess I could put it here too, if you guys want to hear it. Um, yeah, so that's kind of what's been going on this week. I'm editing a music video. I spent three days editing it just poorly. 
um, I didn't take my own medicine and I used, I had too much content. I hadn't edited enough before I started. So I had too much crap and kind of freaked out the second day because I had spent so many hours just going through the narrative when Reed was like, well, I think the narrative should go this way and this content should be placed here. And it, it kind of re, it, it changed everything. It reframed everything. And I was like, ah, like I'm not making any progress. We're on this deadline. And as it turns out, the label Kitten Robot has signed a lot of bands and has a lot of projects. The latest being Kira of Black Flag, um, her solo, her very like moving and kind of, I don't know how to describe it. It's a very emotional, moving um, bass and vocal um, compositions. And so it turns out that the the big red alarm, this is happening, needs to happen right now, is, is a little bit premature because they have so much, um, you know, content and music they're putting out that actually it's not like the end of the world. Whereas the last few videos, Cul-de-sac and She Drives, I've been on a really tight time frame of editing and shooting within a couple days and having things ready for, um, for the publicist and everything. And so I'm like trying to squeeze myself into this um, time frame, which is not a bad thing. As someone who does a lot of DIY stuff, it is easy to procrastinate and to fiddle around and be too precious about things. So I've been pretty good about not being precious, and I did make some really good progress on the video. I actually have to tweak it a little bit more today, so lest I procrastinate by talking to you here, I should probably get on that. Um, I hope that you're having a good week. I've been enjoying doing these little Tuesday chats. Um, I do notice that you guys are downloading them, and so that's cool. <laughs> um, yeah, I'll just be in touch with you, and if you're local, come on down to Humdinger Brewing because in Aurora Grande, California, because we will be playing on next Saturday, October 9th, with a local band called The Diseased, and once again, my friend Erica Daisy Van Tassel is going to be spinning records. There will be no cover charge, and yeah. So if you are local, come check that out and come hang out with us and have a beer. All right, then. I guess I will talk to you guys next week. Um, until then, sparkle hard. Bye.